Hello and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Today's episode features a whole lot of cello chat with cellist Pablo Ferrandez. We spoke ahead of his European tour with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, where he'll be playing two classical cello concertos, Hide and See and Boccherini No. 9 in B-flat. But which version? You'll find out soon. We spoke about playing in a classical style, as well as touring life. Once in a while, news will break about a musician being denied on board a flight because of their instrument. So we all know that flying with a cello is challenging at the best of times, let alone during the time of COVID. Find out what Pablo thinks of it all right now. Pablo, welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, um, all the way from Italy. So we're here today to talk a little bit about classical cello playing and also your life touring as well, because touring is quite different in this day and age. So, you know, we're coming up to your European tour with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, where you'll be playing classical concertos by Haydn and Boccherini, two great pieces of the cello repertoire. Could you tell me a little bit about your approach to playing classical cello concertos? How does your approach differ from playing something, say, like Elga or Dvorak or Saint-Saëns? Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so I feel very, very honoured to be talking with you. Well, of course, it's very different. No, um, main thing is, of course, the amount of vibrato and the kind of vibrato that you would use in Elgar, for example, as you say, and Boccherini is completely different. No, um, I'm not, how you say, like the most historic uh, player. Uh, Historically informed, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But I, I, of course, try to play in style or what I feel it's in style with, uh, you know, what suits me. But of course, uh, to find the kind of approach with the bow and the kind of vibrato that the, the, the music requires, it's, it's very, very different. It's always a challenge, but it's also like um, to learn the language. I, I think you just need, when you play classical period music, it's a different language than when you play a romantic piece um, and once you just switch that in, in your brain it, it's just very natural and I it very enjoyed very very much. When I think of these classical concertos I think so much of the word gesture you know think of all those like running scales and in, in hide and see particularly in the last movement lots and lots of scales um, you know what sort of advice would you give to perhaps students people who are learning these works, Haydn, C and Boccherini, who are learning them for the first time to sort of learn this language that you mentioned. Actually, that word that you said is just absolutely perfect. Um, when, I, when I'm practicing and studying these pieces, when I'm playing them, I imagine like big gestures, but you know, like kind of like a lot of gravity that brings you from one impulse to the next one. Mm-hmm. And this tone of little notes that are in between these impulses, they just kind of flow for a lack of a better word, easily between, you know, between these big impulses. Uh, uh, so this feeling of, you know, impulse and gravity and, you know, elegance, mm. it, it's something that maybe you don't have as much in in, in romantic uh, music where you everything is longer and, you know, 
an every note is incredibly important yeah. compared, you know. Yeah, so much tension, isn't there? Whereas uh, I think, exactly. um, obviously, we're talking via video link, so I can see, you know, you're sort of waving your hands around, but this feeling of larger points, perhaps, and connection with all the little notes in between. Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. And also, it's it's very interesting, the, the difference between Boccherini and, and Haydn. Of course, they both have a different feeling, a different language. Yeah, it's. It, I'm very happy to be playing this program with with the academy because you know I admire them very much. It's my first time playing with them, so I have been looking forward um, to this project since since many months. Of course, was it booked during the pandemic, or had you had it in the diary before? Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it has been there for a while. <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly when. But... And it's finally here. Congratulations! So tell me yeah. a little bit about the classical size ensemble. Are you are you performing uh, in smaller forces? How big is the ensemble going to be? I don't know the exact number of players, but I believe it's going to be in the in the smaller side. And you know, and it really feels like chamber music. You know, in a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Everyone in, in, in the orchestra is such great musicians and players. It, it just feels like a big group of people playing playing music. It's super fun. It feels like a party also with this music also that we're going to play, which is really positive. Also, you know, the Haydn is one of the most positive pieces of, of music I know. So it's 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 going to feel like a party on stage. Yeah, so true. You can't really listen to Haydn C without a great big smile on your face, I think. I agree. Or play it. <laughs> So you're, just, you're going to be there on stage with a big grin on your face. But yeah, I, I see what you mean. I think when you have a sort of smaller forces of an ensemble, you feel like every single person can really get involved and there's less of the separation between ensemble and soloist and it sort of comes together in that way. Can you tell me a little bit about your instrument setup, for example? Are you changing things up to play this repertoire in terms of setup, strings, bow? Not at all. I feel most comfortable with my setup and I think I have the you know, most um, ability with what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. If I would change something, uh, I would need to relearn many things and I think I can find all the colors and all the nuances with, with the, the way I play, uh, with the, with this setup, which I, I just use metal strings, Larsen, mm-hmm. uh, Magna Core. Um, my bow is the same bow I use for everything, is the uh, Sartori. Um, the cello is um, a Stradivari. <laughs> just casually. <laughs> which is not bad, which is not bad, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a Strad, you may have heard of it. But that's the thing, you know, I mean, you may not necessarily need to change everything in your setup if you've got if you've got an instrument which isn't bad, that allows you to yeah, you know, <laughs> do everything. Of course, for him, that's, uh, again, you know, modern music. It's even more, so uh, it's, it's what's made for, for the era. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. It's, it's music, more or less, closer to the time yeah, of, Strad- less, of Stradivari course. than mm-hmm. the music of... Than a modern cello right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, that's really interesting. I wanted to ask you about the Bocherini concerto as well, because you're playing the B-flat... Correct. Number nine, right? What edition are you playing? Are you playing the original or the Grutzmacher version? Yeah, I'm playing the original, of course. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I learned the Grutzmacher. Of course, it's very, very different. And I was shocked later uh, when I got a bit older that there was an, a real, <laughs> real piece. And Grutzmacher had just changed it up with mixing a bunch of concertos. 
it was cool. I actually much preferred the original, but uh, in other way, I can understand why he changed also a few things uh, for like a solistic uh, point of view. But yeah, I enjoyed it very much, and so now I I, I know both pieces. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, that that helps, doesn't it? I mean. You know, I guess I could also ask you the same about Tchaikovsky Rococo variations because, you know, there's the original version but also the Fitzenhagen sort of uh, cut-and-paste version as well. Which of those do you prefer? In that particular case, I am a bit stubborn. I, you know, I learned the Fitzenhagen and I love it. And I know it's not the original, but I'm so used to it and I understand so well the, the, you know, the relationship between the variations, mm. it's very hard for me to change. I think times are changing. Yeah. I think most people learn or hear the Fitzenhagen version, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it can be difficult to sort of change things around. Plus also, it's just got an incredible ending. You, you sort of get used to yeah. the flow between the movements. I just love the the sixth variation uh, where it is, you know, like right uh, before the end. I just love it. It's like you arrive there and that, that's exactly what I need. I need to have it in another order. It would mess me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes you on a different emotional journey when you mix up those movements, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Moving on from Boccherini and Tchaikovsky. So obviously you're about to embark on this tour, which takes you to, well, you're in Italy now, and you'll be in the UK for the performances, but then you're also performing in the Netherlands and Germany. Tell me about your experiences with traveling with a cello during the times of COVID. Well, I mean, as you know, uh, just to travel with the cello alone is a challenge in itself. Now during COVID is... Well, you know, it's much, much more difficult, of course. Uh, it's getting better, though. Uh, so you just need to fill up these forms in every country that you go. So annoying. <laughs> but, but you know, at least it, it's becoming more normal. And at least you have a freedom of, of traveling. Uh, before, like a few months ago, when if you were in this country, you couldn't go to this other country. And then mm-hmm. that was a nightmare. You would have to plan, okay, so I have been... I don't know, I'm just saying randomly like in Sweden, but then I cannot go uh, to this country if I have been there 10 days ago. It was a nightmare. You sort of have to plan your itinerary. So it's like, well, I need to go to this country, but I have to go there via somewhere else. So you end up just like spending so much more on travel, right? Yeah. And, you know, with this extra seat, it it adds up, definitely. (laughs) But... At least your cello doesn't have to do a COVID test. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> imagine, imagine this will be the last thing. Yeah, t- yeah no, and... Um, Taking a little swab. Now with the this green pass thing, it's a bit easier. You don't need so many tests as before. Before it was, of course, testing all the time. Now I think it's just mostly in the UK, no? Where you need to test the, this famous day two test. Oh, yes. Well, I traveled from Italy about a month and a half ago and when we came back yeah I had to do a PCR test on day two send it off Mm -hmm. and then when that came back negative then I was free to do whatever but you still have to go and post the thing so you're still leaving your house I mean I don't really yeah it's (laughs) the system is a bit strange and it's also so scary every time you take a test I mean I know people who had like um 
false positives. You know, they, they take the, the day two test and it comes positive, then it takes seven more tests. They're all negative, but because of that positive, it overrules everything else. And they have to cancel the next two weeks of concerts. It's a nightmare. So, I mean, like, what would happen in that scenario? And, you know, I'm touching all the wood that this doesn't happen. Me too. But, you know, if you do test positive before performance, you know, what's the contingency plan there? Oh, I don't even want to imagine, but I am guessing that you would have to self-isolate immediately. The concert, of course, will be cancelled because I'm guessing you will have you would have had contact with someone at least oh, in the orchestra. Yes. So all of these people will have to, you know, self-isolate, I guess. Oh, it's just a, a nightmare. So <laughs> that's why I have this test that you can do yourself in the, in the pharmacy. And I do one just every time I, before I'm about to fly somewhere, just in case, because I don't want to arrive anywhere and suddenly just, you know, i rather just stay at home and, you know, cancel everything, but stay at home. But imagine to stay in a hotel room for two weeks just because of, so, oh my God. That's a little bit bleak. Oh gosh. Yeah. You just have to think about how many people's lives you're affecting if you do test positive and then everyone else's lives sort of gets cancelled as well. Okay, well, again, I'm going to repeat, touching all the wood, that that doesn't happen. But um, I just want to say, Pablo, thank you so much for sharing your insights on (laughs) travelling with a cello these days. And also, (laughs) you you know, your thoughts on classical cello concertos as well. It's really interesting. Thank you so much. That was cellist Pablo Fernandez. Right now, you're listening to his performance of Haydn Cello Concerto in C that he performed last year with the Spanish Radio Television Orchestra. You can check the show notes for details about his tour with the Academy in early December. All things going well. Touch wood. Don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. Not forgetting, we've got 50% off an online subscription for students. Check the show notes for the link, and if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening, and tune in again soon for another episode. Bye!